Alright, if you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to the book of Habakkuk. Maybe you don't even you didn't even know there was a book in the Bible called Habakkuk, but there is. Um, it's in the Minor Prophets, so if you hit the middle, you'll hit Psalms, and just start heading right. If you hit Matthew, you've gone too far, but just behind that, there's 12 small books called the Minor Prophets, um, and near the middle of those is a book called Habakkuk. Um, we've been studying this for the past, this will be our third week looking at Habakkuk, third and final week, so I want to say thanks to Trevor, who's not here, but also to, to Joshua, who preached the past two Sundays, um, gave our family an opportunity to get out of town and um, spend some time together, so thank you for that, and uh, I finally got to listen to Trevor's message. If you haven't heard it, I encourage you to, to you can download it and listen to it on Grace Fellowship Church's website. So, anyways, <laughs> sound like I'm doing an advertisement. Um, if you're in the book of Habakkuk, we're going to be in chapter 3. If you can't find it, someone can help you. And if you need a Bible, there's someone on the back table. Um, but Habakkuk chapter 3. In the midst of, um, of distress and, and pain and suffering, it's often easy to forget what we know to be true. So when situations sort of go haywire, we forget things that we know really well. Uh, the summer before Andrea and I were married, so about 11 years ago, if my memory serves me correct, that's when it happened, I was on vacation with my family at the beach. We were over on the East Coast. Uh, my dad and I had swum out a, a little ways, and we were kind of on a sandbar that was far away, but we could still touch, but we had had to go through some deeper waters to get there. Um, and as we were coming back, we were coming back towards the shore, as best we know, and I'm not positive on this, but I think that we got caught in a small riptide. Now, if you know what a riptide is, that's kind of scary. So a riptide, uh, to explain it, is if is the, the shoreline is here and it's and it's a breakout in, in further water that causes the water to pull everything back out to deeper water, out towards the ocean. And so if you're trying to swim against that current, it's it's pretty difficult. Now, I had seen all the signs, and I'd read in the magazines every year, This what you, what you do if you get caught in a riptide is you swim parallel to shore. So you get out of the riptide, and then you come in. You don't try to swim against the current because you're going to wear yourself out, you get taken out to sea, and then that'll be it. <laughs> so I knew that. I mean, I could I could have drawn you the picture. I, I can see the picture in my mind of the riptide. Here's what you need to do, swim parallel to shore. But in the midst of it, I had no idea what was going on, and we just continued to try to swim against this thing. We were getting more and more tired and starting to stress out a little bit. Um, and eventually, it must have been a weak enough one that we were able to to get out of it. Um, and I was very wary of the ocean the rest of that week, and, and still am a little nervous about those things because you don't know what's going on. But it, but it serves as this example of that in the midst of this stressful situation, I forgot what I knew, I, I knew what to do in that situation, except when the, the, the stress of that moment, the, the, the distress that overcame me, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I forgot what was most important. Uh, A.W. Tozer, I shared this another, a Sunday night ago, has written that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And in the midst of suffering or in, in the face of persecution or we, when we feel like everything and everyone is against us, what comes into our mind when we think about God is extremely important. 
in suffering, how we think about God determines how we're going to respond to the situation. So if you think God is, is mean and uncaring, if you think He is uh, against you, if you see Him as, as distant, or if you, you see Him as weak, then that's going to determine how you deal with the suffering that you're in. But if you look at God and you see God as, as merciful, as, as just, as, as powerful, as all-satisfying, then that also is going to change the way that you think about the suffering and the, the distress that, that you might be in. The problem is that often in suffering, we forget what's most important. We forget about who God really is. Everything gets jumbled up in our minds and we can't remember what is true, what we know to be true about God. In this book, the, the difficulty for Habakkuk has been that what he believes about who God is is coming up against the, the circumstance that he's in. So he believes certain things about God, but what he's looking at seems to say something different about who God is. And so he's trying to bring these two things together. God, this is the situation. This is who you are. I don't understand how these things go together. So Habakkuk is asking God questions. We've seen in the first two chapters that he is complaining to God. He's asking God these hard questions. The first one in chapter 1 is, is God... Israel, your people are acting wickedly and you don't, you're not doing anything about it. Where are you? You're not doing anything, God. And God says, I am doing something. In fact, I'll tell you what I'm doing, Habakkuk. You won't even believe what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm bringing the Chaldeans, I'm bringing the Babylonians, and they're going to come and they're going to punish Israel. They're going to punish your people. Well, then Habakkuk's got more questions. Because he says, wait a minute, God, the Chaldeans are even more wicked than us. And you're going to bring them to judge us? How, how can you do that, God? And so God comes to Habakkuk and tries to answer his question. And um, as we saw last week, he, he shows that, that the just live by faith. And we also have the hope that the wicked will be punished. And so there's these, all these truths that we're trying to, to hold together in the midst of suffering that, that are supposed to make sense of the things that are going around us. And, and it's all about who God is. Who do we believe God is? The book of Habakkuk is so relevant. This is written thousands of years ago, but it, it, it speaks to our lives right now because we all face difficulty. We all face suffering. We all face pain in our lives and often in the midst of pain we are confused we're just as confused as Habakkuk is but in that suffering there are things there are truths that we need to to hold on to because what we believe about who God is is the most important thing about us in the midst of suffering and we need to know who we understand him to be because we can have we can have hope, we can have confidence, we can even have joy and strength in the midst of suffering if we have a right understanding of who God is. Even when the circumstances don't make sense or the suffering seems unbearable, we can hold on to what we know about who God is. Habakkuk 3. In this chapter, the prophet is telling us this. If we know, if we know the song of the majesty of God, then we can sing in the midst of suffering. If we know the song of the majesty, the glory, the, the greatness of God, if we know that song, then we can in fact sing in the midst of suffering. In this, this final chapter, Habakkuk writes about his, his confidence in God in the midst of confusion. He's holding on to what he knows to be true about God, even though the situation around him seems black. And he writes a song 
not simply for himself, but for all the people of Israel and, and even for us so that we can be sure about who God is. The Chaldeans haven't come yet. The Babylonians who are going to come in judgment, they, they haven't shown up yet, but they're coming. And so Habakkuk writes this song to be sure that the people and that he have something to hold on to when this distressing situation comes. This is true for us. That, that we need these truths. And if we know the song of the majesty and the greatness and the glory of God, then we can sing even in the midst of suffering. Life is hard. Suffering is inevitable. And being a Christian doesn't remove the presence of suffering. It allows us to walk through it with confidence in who God is. Not just confidence, but even joy. Let's read Habakkuk 3. Follow along with me. There's 19 verses here. Some of it may be confusing, but hopefully we'll have some clarity by the time we're done this morning. Habakkuk 3, beginning in verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand, and there, there He veiled His power. Before him went pestilence and a, a plague followed at his heels. He, he stood and, and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kashan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian didn't tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of many waters, of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. So just note with me as we, as we start, uh, we can see in this these verses that it bears all the marks of, of being a song. 
It's also a prayer, a prayer of Habakkuk, and most of the greatest songs are prayers, you know, uh, prayers to God. Uh, the reason we know it's a song, you can just note a few of these things. It says, according to Shigianoth, I think that's how you say it. Uh, it's a musical term. It's used in the title of Psalm 7, and so um, this is, the, the meaning, meaning is sort of debated, but some sort of musical notation. There's three uses of the word Selah which means like a pause or maybe a musical interlude. Again, not really sure what it means, but it's a musical term. The only other place in the entire Bible that it's used is the book of Psalms. So it's nowhere else except for Psalms and Habakkuk. And then finally at the end there, it tells you how to play this song to the choir master with stringed instruments. And so this is a song that the people of Israel were supposed to sing. Music is a wonderful gift, isn't it? It is a gift that God has given us. It allows us to express our hearts to God in a way that, that mere words just won't do. Words set to a melody, they, they mean something deeper to us. And so that's why even as we've gone through Habakkuk, you may have noticed we're singing this song, All Must Be Well, and, and God Moves. These are songs that, that fit well with the theme of Habakkuk, and they're songs that, that we need to know, because the beauty of music is that it often rises within us when we're not sure what else to think or, or to say. In difficulty and, and suffering, God often brings to mind beautiful songs that remind us of, of who He is. And those songs, those truths about God will sustain us throughout difficulty. So when we're distressed, when we're prone to forget, we're reminded what's, about what's true, and often that's through music. So this song then is, is meant to remind us of who God is. It's, it was meant to remind Israel of who God is, and it's meant to remind us. Because understanding the character of God holds us in the midst of the storms of life. So the first thing that we notice that Habakkuk's trying to tell us about God is that God is powerful, merciful, and just. There is salvation in the midst of terror. That's the first thing I want us to think about. God is powerful, God is merciful, God is just. There is salvation in the midst of terror. The psalm begins with Habakkuk seeking mercy from God. Verse 2 there says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He's trembling at the coming judgment of the Babylonians. They, they are going to come, God has said. They are going to come and they will judge the nation of Israel. There's going to be a day when they will come. But, but Habakkuk is asking for mercy in the midst of that. Mercy in the midst of the exile. Mercy in the midst of all the, the, the warring that is going to happen. Even mercy with the hope that one day they will return to their land. He's also asking for judgment. We see that in verse 16. It says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. What day of trouble? The day of trouble to come upon those who invade us. So he wants mercy, but he also wants justice. He trusts the justice of God that if the Chaldeans come and punish Israel, there will be a day when God comes and punishes the Chaldeans. That justice will be served. He trusts in the justice of God that there will be a day that those who trouble Israel will be troubled themselves. They will face judgment for their sin. And that's something that we hold on to, that God is just. That those who do wickedness and will find judgment from God. Notice too, just Habakkuk's attitude. He says, yet I will wait quietly 
for the day of trouble. Isn't that a little different than what he's been like earlier in in the book? He's been a little bit more demanding, demanding God for an answer, and yet God is revealing who he is. And Habakkuk quiets down a little bit. We can think about the end of Job. Isn't that how Job is? Throughout the book of Job, Job is sort of challenging God, and then God shows up in the whirlwind. And what does Job say? He says, I I spoke words without knowledge. I I said too much, God. I, I was too quick to speak, and now I will be quiet, and I will listen to you. Seems like Habakkuk has the same attitude, but he's holding on to what he knows to be true about God. He's holding on to the to the mercy of God and to the the justice of God that there will be salvation. That this hope for salvation is rooted in in who God is, in God's past power and mercy and and justice. He says in verse two that he's heard this report about who God is, and the majority of the song from verse verse three through verse. 15 is Habakkuk recalling to mind all that he knows and all that he has seen about the justice and the mercy and the power of God in the history of the people of Israel. That's what this is. It's poetry about what God has done. The history of the children of Israel brings comfort and confidence to this man who is distressed right now. And he's saying that to them, he says, you can know that God is powerful and merciful and just and there is salvation even in the midst of this terror. So Habakkuk recalls to mind all these scenes. He recalls specifically to mind the scenes of the exodus from Egypt and the wilderness wanderings and even those early days of conquest under Joshua when they were going into the land. Let me just briefly tell you kind of what these verses are talking about because they do seem a little strange just at first glance. Verses 3 and 4 seem to be recalling to mind when God met Israel on Mount Sinai. So when God shows up, at all these, these terms of, of light and rays flashing and the veiling of, of power, it's this picture of when, when God came to Mount Sinai and He lit up the mountain with the brightness of His majesty, when He, he shook the earth and this, this cloud of His glory came down on the mountain. And Moses is engulfed in the mountain and in the cloud and, and there He beholds, as it were, the majesty of God and God reveals the law to Moses. Habakkuk reminds himself and he reminds the people of God and he reminds us that this is who God is. He is a God that is filled with majesty and glory, that the lightning and the thunder and the shaking of this mountain. But not only that, but that God came on this mountain to meet with Moses, to to have relationship with Moses. And so he trusts in the glory of God, but also this desire to meet with his people. Verses 5-7 through seven then talk about sort of the, re- the response of the nations when they, when they saw who God was. And they saw the way that God was fighting for His people. And verse 7 tells us that they shook in fear. We can think about all the plagues that were brought on Egypt. And all the ten plagues. And at the very end, the people of Egypt were saying, Get out of here and take anything that you want. Because they were scared about what God was going to do next. We can think then about how God was with the nation of Israel as they marched towards Canaan, as they were getting ready to conquer the land. And the the word about who God was and how He was with Israel went out into the cities. You remember that the the two spies went into Jericho and, and Rahab hides them. Why? Because she knows who God is and she knows that they have no hope of standing before Him. So she hides these two spies and, and Rahab says, Rahab, who, who is not one of the children of Israel, Rahab, who is an outcast, who doesn't know God in the same way that the people of Israel. He, she says this in Joshua 2, 9-11. She says, 
I know. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard, Rahab says, we heard about you guys. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And then she says, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She heard about what God has done and she said, the whole, the whole city of Jericho is, in, is afraid of you guys because they know who God is. Again, think about that in the midst of distress. Rahab's in distress because Israel is coming to attack and her understanding of who God is shapes the way that she thinks about that suffering. And the enemies of God hear about God's power and His might and they, they shake in fear. Notice Rahab mentions the Red Sea. That's the event in the Old Testament. That's the one that the, the people of Israel keep coming back to it year after year with the Passover. This, this glorious event where God leads the children of Israel through the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea and they go through on dry ground and then He brings the waters back on top of the Egyptians as they are pursuing them. And this is just the most beautiful reminder of God's love for His people and His power over all things. And so in verses 8-11, through 11, Habakkuk begins to talk about the Red Sea. He recalls this, this act of God's power as a reminder of, of God's control over all things, including seas and, and rivers. God split the Red Sea. And then as Israel is, is coming into the land of promise, what does He do with the Jordan River? He splits that in half too and allows them to walk across into the land of Canaan. God is exalted in these verses as the ruler of creation, as the ruler of nature, as the ruler of, of rivers. He shakes mountains. He, he can hold the sun and the moon still in the sky. He is almighty. He is described as, as a warrior, as, as one who fights for his people with a club and with arrows and with, with a flashing spear. He's personified as warring against creation, not in an angry sense, but in this powerful, controlling sense. He does whatever he pleases. This is who God is, Israel. Habakkuk says, don't forget that this is your God. He's the one that split the Red Sea. He's in control of all creation. Don't forget who he is. Sing this song. And then in verses 12 through 15, the God who shook the mountains and split the seas directs his power against the, the ungodly and the sinful nations. The reference here is probably to, to Pharaoh and to Egypt and God's defeat of them in the Red Sea. In verse 14, he says, You pierced his own arrows and the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. And then verse 15, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. This picture of of the Red Sea coming crashing back in upon the Egyptians as they were pursuing Israel. And God defeated all of Israel's enemies. And so Habakkuk goes to history and he says, this is who God is. He is a God of power, a God of mercy a God of justice. Remember this, Israel. Remember this. Even as we see the threat of the Chaldeans coming, the Babylonians are coming. It's going to be bad. But remember who God is. If we know that song, if we, it's not just this song. If we know the song of the majesty of God, if we know the glory and the greatness of God, if we can sing that song, then we can sing in the midst of suffering. 
Because the song tells us that God is powerful, that He is merciful, that He is just, and that there is salvation even in the midst of terror. When terror comes into our lives, we can know that God is merciful, He is powerful, He is just. This is why we read God's Word. This is why you get reading plans. This is why you read through Scripture. This is why you go back and read about the Old Testament and understand who God is. Because we need to remind ourselves, we need to remember who God is. We're beholding the greatness of God here. We see His mercy as we read and we plead for it ourselves. We see His power and we ask that He would be powerful towards us. We see His justice and we trust that He is a God who always does what is right. So we read Scripture, we see that. Not only, not only in the history of Israel does Habakkuk see that, but, but we can see that in our own lives. We can look to the past and think about how God has been faithful to us. We can trust Him because of in the midst of distress and suffering, we can recall to mind the times when we were in other distressful and other hard circumstances, and God was faithful then. And we say He will be faithful now. He has sustained us. He has cared for us. Some of you have felt this. You've been in distressing hard situations and God has been faithful got to remember those things when it gets hard again remember how he has been faithful in the past that's what Habakkuk is doing okay God I don't understand this situation but I can look back and I can see how you were faithful here so you'll be faithful here I can trust that Sometimes it's other people that are going through suffering and they need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. You need to take your Bible and go to Habakkuk 3 and say, this is who your God is. Do you remember that? And then you need to maybe share your story. Let me tell you about the time that I was distressed. Let me tell you about the time where I thought that everything was was going out the window, that I thought God was against me and how He proved to be faithful. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The comfort that God gave you was for you, but it's also for someone else. They need to know the faithfulness of God to you in your life as they go through difficult circumstances. That's what a testimony is, isn't it? It's to talk about the goodness and the, and, and the, the faithfulness of God so that others can continue to trust. I can't remember how many times Andrew and I have shared the story about God's provision for a place for us when we moved to Illinois. But it was just such a clear picture of God's goodness to us of providing this house. And we, we often will tell other people in similar situations, listen, let me, let me tell you our story about God's faithfulness to us and how clear His hand was. And we trust that He will, he will be with you. He will provide for your needs. This is a reason that we should read church history. You should read about Christians in the past. You should read about people that were faithful to God in the midst of hard circumstances. We should read biographies of missionaries and of of those great saints of the past. Why? Because they show us the greatness of God. They show us the faithfulness of God to those saints. And we can say, our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of all of these saints in the past is my God. The God of the children of Israel is my God. He will be faithful. He will be faithful to me. Of course, the place that we should always run is to the gospel. The place that we should always go is to the the way that God has saved us. Habakkuk goes to the Red Sea because that's the best he's got. But we can go to the cross. And we can go to the resurrection. And when we go there, when we look at at the, the gospel, we see on full display God's mercy. God who was willing to send His Son to die for our sins 
in mercy, not because we deserved it, but in mercy. We can see the, the, the justice of God, that he, he pours out His wrath on Jesus because Jesus had taken our sins upon Himself. God pays the penalty for sin is paid for by Jesus. He takes the penalty upon Himself. We see the justice of God at the cross. We see the power of God as, as Jesus rises from the dead. He's victorious over death itself. I think that Jesus is the fulfillment of verses 13 through 14 in Habakkuk 3. You went out. I think that that's Jesus. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Isn't that Genesis 3.15? Where the head of the serpent will be crushed. The head of Satan is crushed. And where is he crushed? He's crushed on the cross. Verse 14, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor secret. So the arrows of the wicked kill them. Isn't that the irony of the cross, that Satan, in killing Jesus, thinks that he is defeating him, but in actuality, he accomplishes salvation for all people through his death and through his resurrection? This is what God has done for us. He has come out in salvation for us. All the beauty and the majesty of God come together in in the gospel, and we look back to that. That's That's why we take communion once a month, to remember this is who God is, this is what He has done for us. And the truth of that recalls to mind who God is, reminds us who He is. So in the midst of hard circumstances, we say, I I, I don't understand what's going on here, but I can look to Jesus. I can understand the, the truth of that verse in Romans 8, right? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If he's given us the son, how will he not take care of everything else? It's what he's done for us. God is powerful, he's merciful, he's just, and there is salvation even in the midst of terror. And all of this pushes towards the culmination of the whole book of Habakkuk. And it's in verses 17 through 19. The song of the majesty of God tells us this. It tells us, yes, that God is powerful and merciful and just, but it tells us that God is all-satisfying. God is all-satisfying. There is joy in the midst of devastation. There is joy in the midst of devastation because God is all-satisfying. Habakkuk describes a scene in verse 17. It's a scene of utter desolation and despair and devastation. It's as bad as it can get. And it's probably what it looked like when the Babylonians invaded. It's this picture of the trees are not blossoming. There are, there's no fruit on any vine. There is no olive. There's no food. There's no flock. There's no herd. Everything is gone. Now think about this society that's an agrarian farming society. And they have nothing. No plants, no animals. This is a picture of utter desolation. That's the picture that he's trying to paint for us. So what's the picture for us? What, what's, what's that? This is not my list, right? If I'm going to write about a devastating circumstance, I'm not going to say there's no fruit on the vine. You know, I mean, that's, just, that's not my life. But what's devastating for you? What's, what's utter desolation in your life? What is it that God might take from you that you would say, I can't live without that. This is terrible. Uh, it may be provision. It may just be food on your table and a roof over your head. 
It, it may be a relationship, a loved one. That, that if God takes that, I don't know if I could handle that. That's, that's too much, God. Sometimes it's even lesser things, isn't it, that we think are suffering? I didn't have my coffee this morning or my cable's out. <laughs> when we get, we get to that place. So it's that and it's everything, it's everything in between. It's, it's the, the big things and the small things. It's all these blessings of God. What, what if they were all taken away? What would be our, our response? Would we take the advice of Job's wife? What does she tell Job to do when everything's taken away, including his health? That's in chapter 2. Curse God and die. Curse, he, he gave it all to you and I took it all away. Curse him and die. I think that's the question of, of verse 17 and 18 is this. Do we love God's gifts more than we love God? Do you love God's gifts more than you love God? Is your joy, is my joy so tied to the ways that God has blessed us that if, if he took all of it away, would we still find joy in having just God? God alone. And the, the song of Habakkuk, of Habakkuk calls us to find joy in God alone so that when disaster strikes and the gifts of God are ripped from us, we can still rejoice. We can still find joy. Where? What's he say? Verse 18, Yet I will rejoice, I will take joy. Where? In the Lord. In the God of my salvation. We can rejoice in God. We can rejoice in the Lord who has given us salvation. That's the struggle for, um, for Job, isn't it? What's going on with Job? Satan comes and says, Job only loves you because you've blessed him. You've given him all these things. That's why he loves you. And God says, fine, take it all away. <laughs> and so Satan comes and rips everything from him. And in chapter 2, he takes away his health. And what does Job say? The Lord gave, and the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not curse God. Now, chapter 3 through 37, Job has a tough time. He wrestles with this still. And God has to come and say, this is who I am, Job. And Job's soul is again quieted. But in that moment, his initial response is, God, you gave it all. You took it all away. I will still praise you. Because you are still God. You are enough for me. Job finds peace even when everything is ripped from him. Paul in Philippians 3, he says, I count all things as loss. Why? So that I can gain Christ. Why? Because Christ, as Colossians 2.3 says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and godliness. I'll take Jesus. I'll take the power of the resurrection above everything else that I could have. Anything else that might be dear to me. We can rejoice in suffering because whatever has been taken from us, God is still with us. We find joy in devastation because we can say this with the psalmist in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart might fail, but God is the strength of my heart. God is my, my portion forever. We can't try to sing this song once everything is taken away from us. We have to learn how to sing this song before it's taken from us. That's what Habakkuk is doing. He wrote this song before the Chaldeans came. They're still waiting for them to come. And Habakkuk says, you guys got to learn to sing this song now 
so that when it's true, you can still have joy in God. We've got to figure out a way to find joy in God alone and not just in His gifts and His blessings. And we've got to do it now before they are taken from us. I don't totally know how to do that. I think part of it is to, to see the beauty of God, to, to just continually meditate on who God is, to see Him for how magnificent and beautiful and glorious He is. Know that the more that we know who He is, the, the more He outshines all of His blessings, all of the gifts that He gives. And I think the other thing is we just hold so loosely to the blessings that He has. If we rejoice in them, we, we're thankful for them, but we're also ready to give them all away. And we don't find our confidence in them. We just declutter our lives, or we, or we, we, we don't hold on to things with a firm grip, but we hold things loosely. We're those that are generous, because my, my, my joy is not found in the things and the blessings of life. That it's found in God. We seek our joy in God. We recognize that He is the one that has given them all, and He is the true source of joy. But all this is a supernatural thing. Just recognize that. No one does this without God. No one does this without God being the strength. And I think that's the point of verse 19. And that's the last thing I want to say. Habakkuk closes by reminding us this, that God is near to His children. God is near to His children. In the midst of suffering, God is near. And there is strength in the midst of weakness. God is near to His children. There is strength in the midst of weakness. He says in verse 19, God, the Lord, is my strength. He doesn't say, I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm going to try to stand in the midst of suffering by myself. He says, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. God is our all-powerful Father. He is near to us, and we find strength in Him to rise above all these trials of life. Through Christ, He gives us feet like deer. Makes us centaurs. <laughs> or, or like Mr. Tumnus, right, in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Have you ever seen a mountain goat jumping on the cliffs? I mean, I mean they don't just walk on cliffs. They, like, leap on cliffs. <laughs> it's amazing. And God says, that's what you will be like. Your trials are cliffs and mountains. I'll give you feet like a deer, like a mountain goat. You just climb right over them. I will give you the strength that you need. I love these animal imageries. I was thinking about that. You know what else God says He'll make us like? Proverbs 28, 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold like a lion. (laughs) He'll give you feet like a deer and He'll make you bold like a lion. And then Isaiah 40, He he makes us another animal. (laughs) Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. Even CJ is going to get tired when we play football today. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up how? With wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Who, who does that? The people who wait on the Lord. The ones that the Lord is our strength in the midst of suffering and difficulty. He makes you like a deer. He makes you bold like a lion. He gives you wings like eagles. You fly over trials. He doesn't free us from trials. He helps us walk through them. 
not just walk through them, but to bound over them. To, to walk on the high places. That's what God does. In the midst of suffering, we have to remember who God is. We need to know the song of the majesty and the greatness and the glory of God. And if we know the song of who He is, then we can sing in the midst of suffering. We can sing about how God is merciful. He is just. He is powerful. He is all-satisfying and He is near. We hold on to those things. But we've got to know it now. You've got to know it now because when the suffering comes, when we get in those distressing circumstances, we might forget. And we've got to remind each other. When it gets hard, we forget what we know is true. You need to go to someone and say, listen, you're doubting the mercy of God. He's merciful. You're doubting the power of God. He is all-powerful. You're doubting the justice of God. He always does what is right. You're finding your hope in other things. God is all-satisfying. You feel like God is distant, but He is right beside you. He will give you feet like a deer. He will give you wings like an eagle. He'll make you bold like a lion. You can do this through the power and the strength of God. Let's sing this song to each other. Let's tell each other of the greatness of who God is in good and in bad times so that when the bad times come, we know who God is. We know who He is. And we can sing even through suffering.